And uh, today, we're going to be continuing in our series here. We're on Ephesians chapter 2. And we're continuing to talk about the church. As uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, are t- and 4, talk a lot about the church and a lot about unity. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're strong and that you're powerful and that you're with us. God, we thank you for the freedom that you provide in our lives. Uh, God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to know you and honor you. We uh, thank you, God, for the privilege that, um, that you're a God who speaks. And, and, and uh, God, I pray that you would give us eyes and ears to see and to hear what you're uh, speaking to us today. And so, Father, I pray by your spirit that we'd use uh, these words, that you'd watch over these words, that you'd correct any words that are wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to talk this week in the next couple sermons about uh, unity. This is what Ephesians is talking about in this section we are in. And uh, primarily, why is unity so different, uh, difficult? Because it's just, it's just hard sometimes. And we're picking it up in verse 19, and it says this. Uh, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And uh, it begins with the word consequently, meaning that he just said something that was important. And, and I want to go back a little bit to review what he talked about, because it's really important to grasp this section of Scripture. And as I, as I said a couple weeks ago, and many scholars think it's actually one of the highlights for sure of the book of Ephesians, if not the entire New Testament. And if you remember that uh, Paul was talking about the soreg, this dividing wall in the temple. There was a dividing wall put up, uh, wasn't commanded to in the Old Testament scriptures, but it was put up by the people to keep out Gentiles and to keep out people who were unclean and unpure, and just to keep them away from the temple. So you could not go across this wall, which was about three or four feet high. It was called the, the soreg. In fact, uh, they have found signs in their digs. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago that, that these the signs were actually placed on this wall that said, no foreigner is allowed in the courtyard or within the wall surrounding the temple. Whoever enters will invite death for himself. And so they're very serious about keeping out the Gentiles and keeping out others to keep the temple pure. And this is one of the reasons why you remember when Jesus overturns the money changers and those who are, he kicks out all the people who are selling animals in the temple. One of the reasons he was so upset was because this area behind the soreg, which the Gentiles were allowed in, this is where they had set up all the money changers and all the animals. And of course, there are thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem. And so this area would have been so full of animals and money changers that there wasn't a lot of room for those who wanted to come and worship. And that is why Jesus, when he overturned the tables, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, uh, and other translations have, um, other, uh, or Mark says, for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, that it was a, to be a place for all nations, and yet it was filled with animals and money changers, and they had put up this wall. So the whole temple system, again, had walls and barriers, and uh, remember, If you were a purified Jew, you could actually go past the wall, the soreg, 
And you could go, and if you were a female, you could go into this section of the temple. Uh, but you couldn't go any further. Uh, this was the, as far as you could go if you were a female. If you had the correct plumbing and you were a male, you could go a little bit further into the court of Israel where the men could go. They could get a little bit closer to the Holy of Holies. And then if you were a priest, you could go even closer to the Holy of Holies. And then, of course, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So the whole temple system had these walls and barriers and divisions. There was this soreg which kept out the Gentiles. And then enters what Paul says in Ephesians. And this text is so incredibly important when it comes to unity and life in Christ. He says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, and he's talking to a Gentile church, the church of, of Ephesus, which once you was kept away from the temple because of this barrier. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Who has made the two groups one. In other words, before there was Jew and Gentile. You keep each other apart. Now they are one in Christ. And then he says this. And has destroyed the barrier. And when he says this, he's talking about the Soreg. That Christ has destroyed this barrier between races and nationalities and division between people. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So in Christ, this wall has been torn down. In fact, not just that wall, but all those other walls, the court of women, the court of Israel, the court of priests, the, the high, all of those have been destroyed because you remember when Jesus was on the cross? The temple to the Holy of Holies was torn in two, and now anyone and everyone who loves Jesus can boldly go into the throne room of grace. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or a Gentile, slave or free, woman or a man, you can enter into that place. As Galatians 3 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is, uh, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And because Jesus has destroyed those dividing walls, we need to make sure that we don't put them up again. And we're always tempted to begin erecting walls towards certain kinds of people or certain groups or certain, uh, you know, well, that's a male or that's a female. We're going to erect these walls again. Christ has torn them down. And so with that in mind, this is where our text comes in. So consequently, because of this, that he has destroyed these walls of divisions and hostility and barriers, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, that he has taken all these different people, these different groups, and brought them into one home. In fact, uh, Jesus becomes a whole new temple. And this next section of Scripture, notice all of the words that speak of a building or of a, of a temple. He goes on and says that, that we are members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so now all of these people actually become a new temple. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, rich, poor, slave, free, they all became a group of one people and actually a new temple. 
The old temple with divisions was gone. There's a new temple where everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Uh, and this is what Jesus has built. And this is why it's really important that we understand that, that this church is not the building, it's, it's us. That we are a local church who is part of the worldwide church of everyone who loves Jesus. And we are the temple in which God lives. God doesn't live necessarily in this building. He lives in us as his followers. And so it's a whole new model of thinking that the old temple model with barriers and divisions is gone. There's a new temple built. It is the church. It's God's people whom everyone is absolutely equal uh, because of what Christ has done. And so because of this, because there is one building, and we're all these different blocks of this temple, unity becomes incredibly important. I mean, if you think about any building or temple, I mean, if a wall just decided to say, you know, we don't want you, you leave, and you know, the building would collapse. Unity, when it comes to a building, is really important. And it is in the church as well. And we're talking about unity. We're not just talking about unity here, but unity amongst all who follow Jesus. Because the temple is not just us. The temple is every other church that loves Jesus in this area, and every other church in this world that loves Jesus is part of the church. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Uh, here's Paul appealing to the church, because the early church had issues too. Because you know why he's appealing? Because it's not easy. Uh, unity is not easy. I mean, if it was easy, there wouldn't be these commands. Paul would be saying, I appeal. I mean, when our kids, we don't say, you know, I appeal to you to eat dessert. Because they love dessert. They just naturally eat dessert. But we have to do the vegetables, right? Because not as easy to eat vegetables. Unity is difficult. And so throughout the scripture, there's these commands saying, I please work towards this. As Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Again, we see the language of making every effort. Uh, not just a little bit of effort. Not, you know, I tried once. Uh, but it's a continual effort that we need to work towards when it comes to unity in this place, unity with other churches, unity when it comes to the body of Christ. Because it's not naturally easy. Uh, John 17 is a key text. Uh, this is Jesus, he's in prayer, and he says that all of them, talking about us as followers, may be one. Uh, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And what's so important about this text is notice twice Jesus says that the unity of the church will be a sign to the world that God exists, that Jesus is real. He doesn't just say this once. Twice he says, so that the world may believe uh, the world will know that you sent me by our unity, that, that one of the major signs of, of, uh, to the world, the, one of the major ways we can tell people about Jesus is by our unity. Not just by our unity, but he also says this, that we're actually, uh, the world will know that God loves us by our unity. That one of the ways that we shout to the world, that we shout to the world that God is amazing and awesome and he's loving is through our unity. 
Now, the reality is, uh, the church has done horribly at this. Uh, I mean, right from the get-go, the early church, I mean, you read about all the divisions. There was such a struggle between the Jews and the Gentiles and, you know, bringing in different groups together. Uh, you read church history. I mean, endless wars. I mean, through the Middle Ages and, and after the Reformation, people killing each other because someone had a simple, a different view of baptism or something like that. And even today, I mean, there, there's a lot of church splits. There's conflict. There's wars and jealousy between churches. I mean, uh, we, we seem to have forgotten about what Jesus is talking about, how important unity is. Uh, here's just some, some stats uh, from Dr. David Noble. So more than, uh, and this is kind of North American stats, more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict every year. Uh, 40% of church members who leave their churches do so because of conflict, because they're just kind of fed up with, the, you know, they're just fighting and these people aren't agreeing or whatever it might be. Uh, 34% of all pastors presently serve congregations that forced their previous pastor to resign. In other words, obviously there was conflict going on and, and uh, they forced him to resign. Uh, 1,500 pastors leave their assignments every month in the United States because of conflict, burnout, or moral failure. And the statistics show that it's often around conflict and burnout. And so this idea of Jesus saying, this is to be a sign to the world, is like, eh, we could be doing a lot better. Uh, here's just some, another, some statistics of what uh, churches tend to fight about. Uh, 44% uh, tend to fight over members' behavior, like other members, not necessarily that they're being sinful, but just they're, they're different than me, and you know, I don't like that, or whatever. We'll talk about that in a moment. 42% over money, 41% over worship. Uh, you know, worship's always controversial, it's too loud, it's too quiet, you know, it's, and I've actually had, after a service one day, someone say to me, that was the best worship service of my life. No kidding, five minutes later, someone said, you know, Satan must have been really at work in the worship today because it was, you know, uh, this is what happens, you know. <laughs> 40% over leadership style, 39% over decision-making, priorities, only 26% over theology. I mean, uh, in fact, you look through all the different splits and different denominations, a lot of that is just over minor theological issues. Uh, because the reality is all of us Christians agree, doesn't matter what denomination you're from, believe in the core issues, the authority of God's word and, and Jesus as our Savior and, and the Trinity and those kinds of things. Now, since members' behavior is the highest, what do members fight over? Well, Thomas Rayner uh, said these, according to his, and I, I have a hard time believing it, but maybe I just, he says this, the most 10 common top, topics of church member arguments. Number one is worship and music style. Number two is volume of music in the service. It's too loud, it's too quiet. Uh, why are their church is declining? You know, people have all kinds of different ideas if a church is declining, and they fight over it. Proper attire for church services. Uh, pastor salaries. Uh, opinions on various megachurches, because everybody has their favorite megachurch and their favorite internet hero, and, you know, I like this guy. No, I like this guy. No, that guy's a heretic. No, that guy's crazy. This guy's a loony. And, and people fight over that. Uh, the number of hours a pastor works each week, or why people left the church, the role of a pastor's wife, perspectives on pastor's children, and so on and so on. And, I mean, I looked, I was like, you know, I was like, well, I'm glad our church isn't like that. <laughs> and for the most part, it's, it's not, but this is part of the problem. That we'll often say, well, it's them, you know, that other church that has those problems. And, and this us versus them language in the body of Christ is, can be very damaging. 
And one of the reasons we struggle with unity is because a lot of times we get into this us versus them language. And studies have shown that just by using that language, whether it's between two people in church or between churches, you will automatically devalue the other person. And they've done studies where they've taken like, um, like a whole bunch of words and they associated some of the words with us and we, and then some of the words with they and them, and just threw them out there. And people always will like those words that have us and we more than words that have them and, you know, those guys over there. And again, we're the body of Christ. Uh, the church down the road is actually part of us. If another church is suffering, we are suffering. Uh, if another m group in our church is, is discouraged, and, I mean, we are suffering. We need to learn as the body of Christ to use more we language because we are one in Christ. There is only one temple. There is only one body of Christ and it includes all these churches. And so, uh, there's a lot of arguments. And to think that we are just degrading from the early church, a lot of Paul's letters are actually trying to deal with conflict. Uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfect, you, perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ, and when he says, I follow Christ, it's like, well, that's the right one. Now, it's probably said mockery when someone says, well, I follow this teacher. Well, I follow Jesus, you know. It's, it becomes prideful, and it's, it becomes a fight over, you know, I'm right, and you're wrong, and, and we do this. And all of us here probably have our, in fact, one uh, article I was reading talked about one of the reasons for conflict in church actually is because of our media generation. That you go back 50 or 100 years ago, there's only one church you could attend, or maybe a couple in your town. But now we have like the best preachers on the internet and the most amazing worship bands. And, and we can find someone on the internet who exactly fits everything we like. I like that theology. I like that worship style. I, I like everything about this. And we go pick that one and, and we, get, we just listen to that one guy. And all of a sudden we, we think everybody else is wrong. And, and, and part of the reasons we struggle with unity is just because of our access to, to other information and knowledge. And we focus only on one rather than on unity. And so this was going on in the early church. There's a lot of warnings about division in the Bible. And a lot of times we just kind of poo-poo these things. Uh, because I got my opinions, you got your opinions, I like this, you like that, we got a perspective, so we'll just fight over it. Uh, but divisions in the scriptures, it says, yeah, we got to watch out for this. Uh, Romans 16 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. And put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. That's really strong language. That if you see someone who is constantly causing division, to actually keep away from them. Uh, Titus 3 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Again, very strong language. In fact, this even seems stronger than like Matthew 18 uh, when your brother sins against you, you, uh, you go and talk to them, and if they don't listen, you bring a couple of other people, then you bring it to the church. I mean, this seems very quick. You warn them once, warn them twice, and then you, you stand back because unity is important. Now, what this is not saying 
is that we all have to think alike, have the same theology. It doesn't mean that we can't disagree, but it means we need to be civil in our conversations. We need to be loving in our, as we challenge each other theologically, and I have my opinions, you have your opinions. I mean, there's one thing to cause division and to fight and gossip and try to split and create this group against this group, or to actually talk about it as mature uh, Christ followers. And, and we're called to be different and called to work through these things. Romans 14 says, let us therefore make every effort. Notice it's always every effort. I work hard at this because it's not easy. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And sometimes we do make every effort because I got a juicy piece of gossip to share that gossip because, you know, it's going to be really good. Or actually making every effort to keep the unity. And then he says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, were they fighting over the last taco? Or, I mean, uh, what, what was going on? And, and this was just, there were different opinions in the early church. Uh, whether you could eat meat that was sacrificed to a pagan idol or not. Some said, yeah, no problem. Some said, that's, that's horrible, don't do that. And they would fight over it. And he said, don't destroy the work over food. You will have people in this church and different churches will have different perspectives on different things, and we're not to destroy the work of God over those things. Uh, unity as a sign to the world is incredibly important. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And you see this happen in groups. Uh, and this would apply to businesses or school. I mean, any group of people, I mean, has conflict and stuff. But, but if a house is divided against itself, it will not stand. And it's sadly why we see sometimes church splits and, 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 or marital splits or anything like that where a house is divided against itself. Now, uh, what we're going to talk about today is, is this. Uh, embracing diversity is, is just hard. We are naturally wired to love people who think like us. Uh, I mean, you put, uh, you put a study, let's do group, I mean, we just know this, in fact, you put a group of people in a room like this, nobody knows each other, you tend to have all the white people will gather over here, all the blacks over there, this group over here, the rich people will gather over there, the people who love this sport. I mean, pretty much it kind of filters out into groups where I'm kind of with people who think just like me and act just like me because we like that. That's easy. It is difficult to get along with someone who is very different than you. Uh, we struggle with that. That's, that's why apostles make every effort to, to learn to get along with each other. And this is the way the early church, the early church was incredibly diverse. Uh, one scholar, Peter Oakes, did a, a kind of a, a study on the early church, and he, he said, this is what sort of the average congregation looked like uh, shortly after Jesus. Uh, it would consist of a craft, craft worker and his family who would own the house, because they didn't have church buildings back then. Uh, they would meet in, in usually a rich person's house. So it would be a craft worker and his family. Along with that uh, family would be the craft worker's three slaves. You'd have two males and perhaps one female slave. You would have tenants who lived in the craft family's home with their family. You would have other family members of the craft worker who did not live in their home. You would have a couple of slaves uh, whose owners did not attend. You'd have some freed slaves. You'd have a couple of homeless people. You'd have a few migrant workers. You'd have a few Jewish people and perhaps an enslaved prostitute. And this would make up the church. Incredibly different from very rich to very poor, from slave to free. And this was to be the church. This diverse group of people getting along with each other. 
As it says in Colossians 3, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. That when Christ, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks, when Christ is your primary identity, it doesn't matter what differences you have, you will come together. If your primary identity is in a certain theological thought or in your desire to be right or in your little box that you've created, you will always struggle with unity because your highest identity is not found in Jesus. It's found in something else. Christ is all that matters. It's interesting. There was a Jewish prayer uh, back in Jesus' day that went something like this. Uh, Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, for not having made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And again, Jesus steps in and says, those walls of division have come down. That Jew, Gentile, male, female are going to come together in one new house called the church, and we're going to love Jesus together in unity. Uh, Scholar Scott McKnight said this, and I like what he says. The church is a fellowship of difference and uh, difference and difference. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world. And this is why it is to be assigned to the world. Because where in this world do you see a whole bunch of radically different, diverse people from all nations, classes, uh, getting together and just loving on each other? You don't see that anywhere in this world. I mean, our world is filled with conflict and divisions and, and all kinds of horribleness. And the church is to be a place where people walk in and go, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. People of different races loving on each other. People of different theological slants loving on each other. Rich and hanging out with the poor and this group hanging out with that poor. Just, you know, all married, divorced, single, whatever. Just all valuing each other in Christ. And people are to walk in and see the church and go, wow, that is amazing. There is something really different about this group of people. I mean, that was the dream of Christ. And it's got to be our dream as well. Uh, Scott Manek talks about the church being a salad. Uh, the best kind of salads are ones that have lots of different flavors, lots of different colors, and it makes the best salad. And you know the best kind of church is a church that's filled with difference and difference, like people of all different uh, conditions and classes and whatever just coming together. This is what makes a healthy church. Uh, studies have shown that churches that are diverse make better decisions. Uh, They're actually more like Christ and and his desire to see this come together. But again, we have a hard time with this. Uh, Our preference is for salads like this, just green. In fact, uh, North American Christianity, for the most part, is built around this. That's why in some towns you have the First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, and there's even a place with the Fourth Baptist because if you split and, well, I don't like that, and I'm going to start our own little group. I mean, in many ways, we're kind of like food court Christianity. You know, you know, when my family goes to a big ball and do a food court, we're like, wow, and each of us tend to go to a different place. Because I like that over there. I'm going to go for, you know, that, and my kids go to A&W or whatever. Like, uh, and, and, and so we can be like that. 
Well, I got my little theological slant, and so I'm going to make sure I find a church that has exactly that, and I kind of like this kind of worship, so I'm going to go there, and, you know, I, I just feel more comfortable around white people and not black people, so I'm going to go here, and, you know, uh, and I have a hard time being around poor people or rich people, so I'm going to go here, and we get all split up. And what Martin Luther said years ago is still true, that 11 a.m. is still the most uh, d- divided hour in North America. Just because we have a hard time, again, hanging out with people who are, are different than us. But this is not to be so. And until you get this, until you realize that, you know, I just naturally have a hard time connecting with people who are different than me, uh, until you realize that you're not going to fight it. And we always need to be fighting that tendency uh, to see those differences. Uh, Scott McKnight said, we have smothered all differences in the church so that everything is the same. Designed for one gender, one socioeconomic group, one race, one culture, one theology. We have become ingrown like a toenail. Anyone who doesn't fit becomes invisible, gets ignored, is shelved, or goes AWOL. And it's because we are living in a very selfish, independent North American culture. I would guarantee you, if heavy persecution broke out upon the church, man, we we wouldn't be fighting over silly things. We wouldn't be fighting against that church. Uh, we would be loving us. You're getting together. It's just because we're in the sort of la-la Disneyland world that we get so bored that we fight over the silliest things at some times. Uh, this text, as we close, is key. Uh, Romans 14. Uh, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And he's talking again about conflict between different people. Uh, talking about food and different things. Uh, don't argue about uh, what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Again, it was talking about whether meat was sacrificed to an idol or not. Some said, I don't want to touch any meat in case it's sacrificed to an idol. Some people said, well, I'm free in Christ. I'm going to eat the meat. Uh, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Do you notice that? A lot of times when we're upset with another member or, you know, they're, why do they worship like that or pray like that or think like that? It was like we devalue them and we almost condemn them in our hearts. But God is like, I, I accept them. He's my child. I still love on them, you know. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, uh, some think one day is more holy than another. Well, others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. And he's saying, look, if you're a Jesus follower, your heart is to please the Lord. And we will all maybe express that differently. And just because someone expresses that differently, it doesn't give us a mean to devalue them or condemn them or cause a division because Jesus said, well, I accept that person. They're my child. And they're trying to honor Jesus and you're trying to honor Jesus. And, and we could go through this through all the different little theological camps within Christianity. This group is trying to honor Jesus and this group is trying to honor Jesus. And they're both trying to honor Jesus. And instead of fighting each other, they need to get together and have beautiful, wonderful theological conversations where iron can actually sharpen iron without judging and condemning and writing people off and we're going to split. And I mean, I think with Jesus in us and the Holy Spirit in us, we should be a little more mature than that. And by the way, in heaven, last verse, 
uh, we're going to see this diversity still. You're not going to walk into, into heaven and everybody's going to be changed to a white race. And, you know, everybody's going to be this or that. There's still going to be this incredible diversity because God loves that. And he loves a church where, there's, where it's filled with diversity. Uh, Revelation 7, 9 says, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, they're all standing before Jesus. And you know, Jesus prayed that we're to pray, God, I want your will to be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're going to see in heaven. We need to begin working for this on earth. I mean, if we're all going to get along in heaven Let's get along here. Let's start working towards that. I mean, if we're going to be getting along with all the other Christians in this world, when we step into heaven, let's, let's work on that. And let's uh, make each other sharper by talking to each other in our differences and having good theological conversation. Again, I'm not saying that we can't have differences because differences are actually a good thing. A good salad has lots of different colors and lots of different stuff going on, and a healthy church has lots of stif- stuff going on. And for some reason, we think that a healthy church is a church that everybody looks the same and thinks the same. And that's just wrong. A healthy church is a diverse church. A healthy church is where there's lots of difference. You come together in the name of Jesus and love on Jesus. There are different personalities, different gifts, different ways of thinking, different theologies surrounding the essential issues, and and, uh, we want to continue pressing forward on this. Let's pray. Let's stand. I invite the worship team forward as well. Father, we thank you that you have created a new temple, a temple without dividing walls of division, a temple, God, where there is no uh, higher people than others, no classes, no genders. There's just, we're just all at the foot of the cross honoring you. We thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the cornerstone of this temple. That everything we do, that everything we say, that everything we think goes back to this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, for being our cornerstone. That when life gets difficult, when life gets rough, when we don't know what's happening tomorrow, we get bad news that you are our cornerstone. And we honor you and we love you. And as we close the service, God, we lift our voices and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.